just want you to know, you want to know God's heart, know God's word. So let's read God's word. Abraham was the father of Isaac, and Isaac the father of Jacob, Jacob the father of Judah and his brothers, and Judah the father of Perez and Zerah by Tamar, and Perez the father of Hezron, and Hezron the father of Ram, Ram the father of Amminadab, and Amminadab the father of Nashon, Nashon the father of Salmon, and Salmon the father of Boaz by Rahab, and Boaz the father of Obed by Ruth, and Obed the father of Jesse, Jesse the father of David the king, and David was the father of Solomon by the wife of Uriah. Amen. You can be seated. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for coming to be with us and for becoming like us and taking on even a family like we have families here. God, thank you for an invitation to be a part of your family, and God, as we uh, consider um, the earthly family that you took on uh, in sending your son, God, may we see all the more clearly what it means to be a part of your family here for us. In Christ's name I pray, amen. Last Sunday as we, uh, we get those lights? I got it. There we go. Uh, last Sunday, as we were here for worship, uh, there was another group gathered for worship. Most of them were gathered um, around televisions and screens, but some of them had in-person gatherings. And that, that worship was the worship for the selection day for the college football playoffs. <laughs> ESPN had the exclusive uh, rights for, for, for exclusive coverage rights, and they produced 20 hours of uh, coverage around the selection for the four teams that made it to the college football playoffs. The climax came shortly after we left here last Sunday at 12.15. They announced the four teams and then spent how many of their other hours analyzing and dissecting and you know, explaining all that. And, and for years now, I, I assume, I didn't Google this, but from the beginning of the college football playoffs, I think, best of my memory is, uh, is that their, their slogan kind of leading up to this, because it's two big games on Christmas and on New Year's Eve that they want everybody to watch, right? So for, for months, all around the, the year, they're, they're building anticipation for this, and their slogan is, who's in? Who's in? Who's going to make it after a full season and the divisional playoffs and all the I mean, divisional championship games and all that? They, they want you to be thinking, who's in? And some years, it seems most years, at least somebody is shocked. There's always these bubble teams and you're kind of going back and forth and there's at least one fan base that's really upset because their team didn't make it. And, and most years there's somebody surprising and, and at least one part of the country is saying, who, not just who's in, but who's in? Seriously? They made it? They're in? They made it into the college football playoffs? Well, this month we are looking at the family of Jesus and I want you to be noticing some of these names, and as you do, and if you know their stories, you might be going, who's in? Who's in the family of Jesus? Who is in this family? Last week, we saw the very first line of this genealogy, and the, this kind of summary of, of Jesus' family that connects him back to King David, and then further back to that, from that to Abraham. And that points to Jesus being the fulfillment of all the promises made to David 
and to Abraham. That's what we saw last week. He's the king, and he is the one who is the blessing to all nations, like had been promised to Abraham. But then this week, in, in filling in the generations between Abraham and David, Matthew throws in some pretty surprising names in this list. And I think for the first generation of people who, who came across Matthew's gospel, as they presented this genealogy of the Savior of the world, they would have asked that question. Who's in? Seriously? They're in the family of Jesus? As surprising as these, some of these names are to us, and will be after we know their stories a little better, there is a, a, a beautiful gospel message in these names. These names are good news to us. Because if there is space in the family of Jesus for these people, then there just might be space for us. There just might be space for us in the family of Jesus. We, if we, uh, are, are, if we know how great God is, if we know how majestic He is, if we know how incomprehensible and beyond words, if we know that He is God Almighty, and if we know how, how amazing it was that He came and took on flesh, in blood, flesh and blood here on earth, and how humble and how amazing His his sacrifice on the cross was, and how amazing His resurrection is, we should ask the question, surely I, I can't be a part of that. Surely I don't deserve to be included in that kind of family. Who's in? Sure, surely not us. And yet the great, great, great news of Christmas, the great news of Christ's coming, is that He did come to us, and He made a space for us in His family. As we look at the 14 generations between Abraham and David, the question I want you to ask is, who, who's in this family and how did they get here? If we can answer that, maybe we can answer, is there space for us? And if so, how do I get there? And maybe even another question beyond that is, is there space for my neighbor? And how can they become a part of the family of God? Matthew chapter 1, verse 2 goes back to Abraham and says, Abraham was the father of Isaac. And I know that as Wanda read this to you, you were just on the edge of your seat. Son of, son of, you were, just, you were just dying to find out what happens next, right? But if we remember that each of these people encapsulate, it's just their name, is, is a reminder of their story, then we are really on the edge of the seat to, to, to remember who is all a part of this family. So in Matthew, just this simple connection between two generations, from Abraham to Isaac. If you know the book of Genesis, you know this is an incredible miracle that Abraham had a descendant at all much less one of his own flesh and blood. It was a miracle and a story of God's grace because God first called Abraham to follow him, to, to, to listen to him, to be his child, when Abraham was 75 years old. And at the time, he had no kids. No kids. And so God said to, to Abraham when he's 75, all the nations of the earth will be blessed through you. Now, the details hadn't been worked out. Abraham didn't know, but he believed and then a few chapters later, chapter 15, Abraham asked God if one of his servants would be the descendant. This is the one, that, the heir. This is the one things are going to pass through. It's not, it's not flesh and blood, but it's one of his household, one of his servants. God told him, no, 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 it's not going to be him. It's going to be one of your own children, which is an impossible thing. He's 75. His wife is just a few years younger. This was an impossible promise. And God took it one giant step beyond that and says, not just... Not just one kid, but look at the stars of the sky, the night sky. You will have as many descendants as there are 
stars in the sky. So shall your offspring be. What? <laughs> a man of his age who's childless and you're telling him that he's going to have that many descendants? Yes, that is what was happening. And here's what I want you to hear about Abraham's story. As soon as God told him that in chapter 15, it says this about Abraham. And he, Abraham, believed the Lord and, and he counted it to him as righteousness. Abraham believed and God counted it to him as righteousness. Righteousness, holy, blameless, pure, able to be in the presence of God Almighty. That is, invited and brought into the family of God. What did Abraham do? What did he accomplish? What, what great feats, what great miracles did he work? What great status did he earn to be able to come into the family? Surely being in the family of God takes some mighty majestic work. No. Abraham heard the promise of God and he believed the promise of God. That's it. He comes by faith. Abraham got into the family of God by faith. And that's the same way anybody and everybody comes into the family of God. There is only one way into God's family. Everyone enters Jesus' family by grace through faith. Everybody, anybody and everybody who wants to be in the family of God, there is only one way in. Everybody comes to, enters Jesus' family by grace through faith. Being in the family of God is not something you earn. It's a free gift. That's why it's called grace. It's free. Being in Jesus' family doesn't come by works, but by faith, by believing, by trusting. Captured in this one line of, of, of the genealogy, from Abraham to Isaac, is a testimony about being made righteous by faith. That Abraham was given a promise, and he believed it. When we turn deeper into the pages of the New Testament, you see that this, this example, Abraham's example of faith, gets quoted multiple times, including Romans chapter 4, which quotes Genesis 15, 6, and says, And to the ones uh, who, who does not work but believes in him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is counted to him as righteousness. Same for Abraham, same for everybody that's in the family of Jesus, including you and me and our neighbors and anybody else who wants to be in this family. The only way to come in is by faith in God. And we can see that explains a whole lot about this odd family list. Because if you were just trying to pull together a list of the best and the brightest and the smartest and the holiest, you might have come up with a different list. But when you recognize that you come in by faith, we start to understand Jesus' family a little bit more. You see, Jesus, in being in the first century uh, as a Jewish person, Surely, almost everybody could have, could have tracked their story back to Abraham. Basically, everybody that was ethnically Jewish could have done that. But Matthew, uh, in, on his path from Abraham, chooses to, to include some names that maybe wouldn't be expected. If we go back and read other genealogies, almost all of them, most of them, it, it's just males. It's just men. You just track the line through the men. But Matthew makes some pretty uh, interesting choices. Verse 3, we read, Judah, the father of Perez, and Zerah by Tamar, a woman. In verse 5, Salmon, the father of Boaz, by Rahab, second woman. Verse 5 uh, continues, Boaz, the father of Obed, by Ruth. There's a third woman. 
And then verse 6, David was the father of Solomon by the wife of Uriah, which is a roundabout way of saying Bathsheba. Four women, just a few verses. Matthew, uh, what? what's going on, buddy? Why, why are you taking such links to throw in these women's name in the middle of this story? Again, this wasn't the usual or necessary way. If Matthew just wanted to, to give the history, just to prove Jesus came from Abraham and David, he didn't have to include these names. So he's obviously doing this for a reason. He's making a point. By listing these, here's what I think Matthew is telling us. Outsiders and sinners aren't ruled out from the family of God. Outsiders and sinners, just because of your background or what you've done or who you've been or wherever, whatever else has been going on, that doesn't necessarily exclude you. You aren't necessarily ruled out from Jesus' family just because of where you've come from or what you've done. This is an, an amazingly uh, pure royal line. We're going to see next week as it goes through all these kings. I mean, lots of people could go back to, to Abraham. A few less could make it to David. Jesus is all the way through the kingly line. This is an incredibly royal line, uh, family heritage here. And yet, David, I mean, Matthew, as he's telling this story, makes sure we see all the characters that are included in this story. He has a lineage full of outsiders to regular society. And before Jesus, before, I, th- I think what Matthew's doing is before you even get to Jesus' life, I mean, you go to Jesus' life, who's he spending time with? The outcasts, the sinners, the tax collectors, fishermen. And here it is in the beginning, Matthew's putting us a little, giving us a little tidbit, a little warning about who's going to be a part of the circle. If you feel like you're on the outside of the circle, whatever circle you may draw, know that Jesus has a, a place for you. He's got a place for you. Everyone, anyone who enters Jesus' family comes by grace through faith. So that means outsiders and sinners are not necessarily ruled out. You're not ruled out just because of your background. What do I mean by outsiders? Well, there's a handful of examples here. And I said at the beginning, there's, there's women who are included here. We, we take that for granted. Our, our culture, we take it for granted that, uh, our, that we have established, no, really, women have the same value and worth as men. But we shouldn't impose our values back on the first century. This was radical for Matthew to, to say this. He was saying the truth. The men and women are equally valuable in God's eyes. But that was new to the world he was writing to. Jesus spent time with women. Jesus uh, let a woman wash his feet. Jesus spoke to a woman at a well. Jesus, in his great plan, because he's God, had women as the first witnesses of the resurrection. The New Testament, well, the whole Bible, but especially the New Testament, is making a radical statement for its time about men and women in God's eyes. So although we don't consider, of course, men or women, one gender being an outsider, to the first world that heard this, they were making a big claim. Being a woman doesn't exclude you from the family of God. Even beyond that, Jesus, if, if Matthew just wanted to make the gender point, he could have included names like Sarah or Rebecca or some of the matriarchs from earlier in the lineage. Instead, he picks Tamar, Rahab, Ruth, and then the wife of Uriah, or Bathsheba. Why these women? Why these men? Well, they have some interesting things in common. For one, they are all either of or connected to a different ethnicity. They are not all Israelites. Tamar was probably a Canaanite. We don't get her exact ethnicity. But she was a local woman who Judah took to be the wife of his firstborn son originally. So probably from Canaan. Rahab was definitely a Canaanite. She was living in Jericho. 
when Joshua and the Israelites came to the city of Jericho and she helped save the Israelites. Ruth was from the nation of Moab that she and the she met an Israelite family who was fleeing a famine and came to Moab and the, the family took on Ruth to marry the oldest or to, to marry one of the children and then after the, she was widowed goes back with them back to Israel and marries an Israelite man that's how she gets to be a part of Israel but she wasn't Israelite she wasn't she wasn't from that line she was from Moab Bathsheba was probably Jewish but she was married or is an Israelite she was married to Uriah who was a Hittite which is not from the nation of Israel. So her family would have been considered not a part of the ethnic nation of Israel. So all four of these women either are or are connected to a different ethnic group. And yet, here they are in the family of Jesus. Why would Matthew have selected these women and pointed this out, brought these women together? Well, like we saw last week, the promise to Abraham, Jesus came as a fulfillment to bless people of all nations. And so he continues the point by selecting these women to say this is a part of the family of God. To the first followers of Jesus, as you go through the New Testament, the Jew-Gentile division what was really hard to overcome. It was so ingrained in the culture that these are separate groups that the, for the early church that was really hard for them to worship together. Much of the book of Acts centers around these questions about how the law is going to be carried forth in Jew and Gentile nations. Many of the New Testament letters are about how these Jew and Gentiles are going to get along together and what it looks like for them to worship. And what's the pure gospel? Is it, how, how do we understand following Jesus no matter which ethnicity we come from? That is a major tension point in the New Testament. And here, Jesus, as Matthew is recording Jesus' family, he's saying, we've been including nations, all nations from the beginning, all the way back. For all kinds of different people. Matthew was planting a seed in the opening statements of, the gospel, of his gospel story. That Gentiles, people of all different nations, there is space for us in the family of Jesus. There is no ethnicity, there is no race, there is no language, there is no people group that is ruled out from the family of Christ. Whatever group may feel like an outsider in any one nation or culture, there is place for you in the family of Christ. No one is ruled out based on where their family history comes from. And Matthew was sure to highlight this, that it goes all the way back in Jesus' family. In Galatians 3, 28 and 29, it says this, There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is no male or female. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you are in Christ, then you are Abraham's offering, heirs according to the promise. Do you hear that? Jew, Greek, male, female, no matter your status, you can be a part of the family because everyone enters the family by grace through faith. Everybody comes in the same way, by grace through faith. Now, as much as Matthew does make clear the gender and ethnicity distinction, the first hearers may have actually heard a different distinction uh, before they heard those distinctions because the things associated with some of these names probably the first thing that comes to their mind wasn't the country they're from, it's what they did and how they lived. Of course, everyone is a sinner, but Matthew seems to highlight some especially, uh, we'll call them bold, <laughs> sins of the nation of Israel through this time and says these people who committed these kinds of sins are in the family of Jesus. Everyone's a sinner, but Matthew goes out of his way to point this out. For example, in verse 3, we read, Judah, 
the father of Perez by Zerah, uh, and Zerah by Tamar. Again, Matthew could have just said, Judah, uh, the father of Perez, and moved on. That's what he could have done, and we've never thought anything about it. But he slows us down. He mentions the twin brother who's born at the same time, and then he makes sure as we slow down to hear the twin brother's name, now he gives the mom's name, Tamar. Now, I pointed out her ethnicity, but everybody who heard this story first wasn't thinking about what country she was from. They were thinking about the story from Genesis 38 and how these children were conceived. Judah took, had gone to Canaan, had a wife, had three sons, and as they grew up, he took a wife for his oldest son named Tamar. Tamar, I mean, yeah, and, and the oldest son died because he was wicked. So in the, the culture of that day, gave the wife to the second-born son. Second-born son, also wicked. Second son dies. So Judah promises Tamar, hey, stay in my house as a widow, and when my third son is old enough to marry, I will give him to you in marriage. However, Judah, in his fear, the fear for the life of his third son, because the first two have died, said he just kind of kept his tongue, did, did, didn't do anything. And Tamar noticed that her father-in-law was dragging his feet. And so she took matters in her own hand in a, you know, creative, we'll call it creative way. She veiled her face and posed as a woman in prostitution. And Judah came by, her father-in-law, and laid with her. That's how these children, these twins, were conceived. This is, this is where this family came from. That's in the family of Jesus. That's the story of the ancestors of our Savior. That's how they came to be. The other stories only get maybe slightly better, but they still are not G-rated. Rahab, the Canaanite from Jericho, who helped the spies, uh, who helped the spies that came in, she professed the, the, the one true God, Yahweh is the Lord. She recognized by faith who God is. But before that point, she had been not just posing, but she was living, she was making her living as a woman in prostitution in Jericho. And if you were here this fall, you heard an even more crazy story from David and Bathsheba. In verse 6, Matthew even highlights, just, I mean, he goes out of his way. He didn't have to mention her name at all, but he's pointing out that David had Solomon by somebody else's wife. He says, by the wife of Uriah. He's pointing out the sin for the people to see. Isn't this a great family history? <laughs> Isn't this the kind of thing, you know, can't you just picture that, you know, the, the next generations, you know, they would just sit around and maybe around the holidays and they would tell great family stories. I don't, no, guys, don't you just remember David and Bathsheba, our great, great, great grandparents? Oh, we just have such good memories of, of them. No, no, like these are not the stories that people are just regularly bringing up to talk about our families. These are the kind of things you would kind of just say, yeah, David was my ancestor and you would just leave it right? You wouldn't want to keep bringing up exactly how that all came about. But Matthew doesn't just mention the, the men's names and move on to prove that Jesus went all the way back to David and Abraham. He's got a bigger message. He's got a bigger point. He's bringing up these stories because he has a purpose, that outsiders and sinners are not ruled out from the family of God. You are not excluded from the family of God because of what you've done. It doesn't rule you out and say you are beyond the reach. Listen, if there was a place beyond the reach, surely somewhere in the Old Testament would have found it. 
Surely somewhere in these stories of Rahab and Judah and Tamar and David and the wife of Uriah, surely somewhere we'd have found the place beyond the, the reach of God. We haven't found it yet because it doesn't exist. There isn't a place. There's no place outside the reach of God. Everyone enters the family by grace through faith. So no matter what it is you've done, or no matter what it is that person's done, or your neighbor's done, they too can be a part of the family by grace through faith. Jesus, is, is, he, what the message he came, Matthew reminds us, of all these sins of the past generations, because Jesus, why he came, Matthew one twenty one, the angel said to Joseph, Mary will bear a son, and you should call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. The past sins of Rahab or David or Judah did not exclude them from the family of God because we have a Savior. We have somebody who came and rescued us from sin. We have someone who came and pulled us out of the grasp of that, who brought us out from under the punishment we deserve and brought us out from lifestyles addicted to sin. He rescued, He saved us. His name means Savior, Yahweh saves. He saves us from our sin. Even our sin does not rule us out from being in the family of God. He pulled us out of it by His great grace. Uriah, uh, I mean, David, when he committed his sin against Bathsheba and Uriah and many others, are, are an example of what coming out of that looks like. It was horrendous. We spent a long time on that, how awful that was. And yet he comes out in repentance. He comes out trusting in God for forgiveness. And God saves him. Perhaps you're familiar with the, the song maybe that usually children sing deep and wide. You know the song? Deep and wide, deep and wide, deep. Uh, there's a fountain flowing deep and wide. Jesus is that fountain that flows deep, deep, deep into all the depths of our sin and brings salvation. No matter how deep we feel like our sin goes, He can rescue out of it. And Jesus is a fountain that flows so wide that there is no nation or ethnicity or people group that he can't reach to. He is, his, uh, he is a fountain that flows deep and wide. Outsiders and sinners aren't ruled out because everyone comes by grace through faith. I, I think this fights temptation for us in, in a couple of different directions. For one, there may be some of you, some of us who are tempted to believe, I, I am not acceptable in the family of God that I, because of what I've done or because of who I am or things that have gone on in my life, I, there's not a place for me in the family of God. Maybe it's something from your family, your past, your sin, something you've done or something somebody's done to you and you feel like you're just not good enough to be in the family. God wants you to hear from the stories of Judah and Tamar and Ruth and Rahab and David and Bathsheba and all of these different people who came by grace through faith into the family of God. He wants you to hear there is room, there is space in the family of God for you. Maybe another side of that temptation would be to falsely believe not just that I'm not welcome, you may be very comfortable in the family of God, but you may be pointing at somebody else and saying, there's no way they are welcome in the family of God. I, I've been accepted, yes, but, but there's no way they could be accepted in the family of God. That's, it, is a, it is a lie to believe that who they are and what they've done and their past and the way they act and all these things that they could never be a part of the family. If we don't see any hope for people, then we are misunderstanding how miraculous our God is. 
if he can bring David out of his sin with Bathsheba, really, can we? There's nobody we can write off. There's nobody we can write off. He can bring all kinds of people into his family. One summer while I was in seminary, I worked for Amber's dad, my father-in-law. Uh, he pastors a church in Bowling Springs. And around that time, kind of the spring leading up to that summer and over that summer, there was a, a group in the church who had been reaching out to a man that I presume was homeless at the time uh, who rode his bike, actually just pushed his bike up and down Highway 9 in Bowling Springs all the time. Lots of people that lived in the area knew this guy. And uh, the people from the church just really reached out to him. They'd buy him a McDonald's meal or a coffee, whatever else it may be. Well, I remember my father-in-law telling me one Sunday uh, he was in the sanctuary and the choir, it's like a traditional church with a big, big choir that comes in from the sides. And he looked up and, and that guy from the street w- had been brought into not just the church, but the choir. He was coming to sing in the choir. And he was just, you know, my father-in-law doesn't take credit you know, for that. He just, it was the people from the church, but he just was like, so proud of his church, so excited for his people that they brought the guy, they didn't just bring him a meal, they brought him to the choir, you know? That was awesome. That was awesome. There is space for all kinds of people in the family of God. There is space for all kinds of people from all different backgrounds, no matter what they've done, no matter what's going on. I wonder, is there space in your life for people who look like they're on the outside? Whatever it is, whoever you're tempted to say them about, You put yourself in a group, there's some other group you point out, that group, whatever that is, political, race, socio-political, socioeconomic status, whatever it is where you said them, is there space for them in your circle, in your family? I think sometimes we look at somebody's background or sin and they separate it from us and we say, uh, they're, they're just different, they're just different. But it's prideful and it's ignorant of our own sin and what we deserve and how far we are and were from God on our own merit, if we separate ourselves from them. We may be right to see others' sins, but it's a lie, we believe, if we say they can never change and they can never be a part of God's family. If the people from Matthew 1 can come into God's family, then there's space for you and there's space for other people around you. The same pathway is open for all. It's the way, the truth, and the life. Jesus Christ Nobody is excluded because of what they've done. All can come by faith to repentance and to believe and to be a part of God's family. That's the only way in. There isn't another way, but it's there for everybody. Outsiders and sinners aren't ruled out from the family. And if you know that, you need to also make sure you know another, another uh, possible misunderstanding. Insiders and heroes in the family didn't earn their way there. Insiders and heroes don't earn a place in the family. Just as much as Rahab's sin did not rule her out from Jesus' family, so also Abraham and Isaac and Jacob's status didn't earn themselves a spot in God's family. Just because they are patriarchs. I mean, these guys are recorded all throughout the Old Testament and the New Testament. It's the God of of our fathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. I mean, these these are foundational people in God's, in, the, in the, the, the whole history of God's people. And so it can, it can be a temptation to kind of uh, build a, a mythological version of them as some big pillars that were just, you know, oh, of course they're in, you know. Their stories, <laughs> read Genesis, it is all by grace. It is all by grace that they are in God's family. Yes, we, we spent a lot of time on David's sin this fall, but when we think back on David. I mean, this was the king of all, that all the Israelite kings were measured against. Solomon, the wisest man who ever lived, 
we can look back at those kings and we can say, well, yeah, of course, they're in the family because these are great men of faith. We can turn to Hebrews chapter 11 and see some of these people listed in the faith hall of fame. We say, of course, they're in because of look at what they've done. Look what they accomplished by faith. and Look at all that happened. No, it is not any credit to them. It is all by grace. It's all because of the Lord. Abraham was not born into a family walking with the Lord. He was in a different land, Ur of the Chaldeans, and God, by His grace, called him out. We already mentioned Isaac, how miraculous his story was, but he, he wasn't Abraham's firstborn child. There's all kinds of sin and all kinds of story there. It's the first by Sarah, and he becomes the child of promise. Jacob was not the oldest of the twins that he was born into. He should not have been the, line, uh, the, the child of promise, and yet God, by His grace, chose him. David was the youngest of seven, or had seven older brothers, the youngest of eight. He, this, this should not have been the guy that the, the kingdom came through. And yet here he is, the youngest child, the one who came to be a part of the child of promise. David, uh, Solomon was also not the firstborn, not the guy that should have been the next in line to be king. And yet over and over again, by God's grace, he works in his incredible ways. There is no insider group that are just automatically born into the family of God. And for you, if you were, if you were born into a, a, a Christian family, if you were born into a, a family of faith, that oh, your parents are Christians, their parents are Christians, everybody around our family has been Christians, that is a, an incredible blessing, a, a gift of God from you. But you should know, and you probably do, that, that your faith wasn't just born into your DNA. <laughs> you aren't born a Christian in the sense that you just become a Christian as soon as you were conceived. No, all of us are born again as Christians, but we have to, be, we have, to have new birth not just being born a Christian. Jesus told Nicodemus in John 3, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. You don't just come as an insider just because you grew up in church. That doesn't make you a Christian. God has to bring new life to your heart just like He does to anybody and everybody else. There's no insider group that you're just automatically shooed in because of where you come from. You aren't just a Christian because you're in the cultural Bible Belt South. That doesn't just make you a Christian. You have to be born again. Similarly, there's not heroes who earn their way into the family by works. Abraham, David, we talked about all the great things they did. Or take Boaz. At least Abraham and David, I can point to their, some of their sins. Boaz, in the story of Ruth, is an incredible man. A man of humility, a man of kindness and generosity, a man who is self-sacrificing, a man who gives so much to show steadfast love and to redeem this woman, Ruth, and the incredible story they have. And still, Boaz did not come into the family of God because of how great of a person he is. He came by faith, just like everybody else. If we forget that, we might start thinking, I've earned my spot here. I've earned my spot in the family. Yes, oh yeah, yeah, I, I, God changed my life back then. But look how hard I've worked. Look at all the things I've done and the way I've spent my money and the people I've loved and what I've given and all these things. Now I have earned my place here. Nope. <laughs> The only way you're in the family is by grace through faith. We can fall into a, a, a transactional view of God instead of reminding ourselves, being, being reminded that it is a relationship we have with God. If we start to put our works up, we say, yes, God, look what I have done for you. And here's the blessing I expect in return. If we view our relationship with God as based on our works, we think we earn good things from God. And so when things don't go so well, we're like, what did I do, God? 
What, what, what major sin did I commit that I deserve cancer or whatever else it may be? That's not how God works. It's a relationship by grace. God, by His Spirit, bears fruit in your life. That fruit doesn't earn you more favor with God. He has already given you an incredible amount of favor in just sending His Son. That was more than enough. Insiders and heroes don't earn a place in, in the family of God. We come into a relationship, not a contract, with God, and we come by grace through faith. God has come so that you and I can know what that relationship is when He came and took on flesh and blood. He lived as a man on this earth to experience all the things we go through so that we could have a deeper relationship with Him. And I think it's comforting to know that Jesus came to a dysfunctional family. He came to a family with the stories of Rahab and Ruth and Judah and Tamar and David and Bathsheba. Some of us may act like our families are normal, but I've never met a normal family. We've all got dysfunction somewhere. We, we like to think of ourselves as having a family tree where there's this line in here, but, but most of us have more like a family vine. You know, it kind of crisscrosses every rich direction. It is confusing and it's not, you know, always so clean. And there's parts that we don't talk about over holiday meals. Unless you're Matthew, apparently. And you talk about him. Jesus came to a family like that. He came to a family with all the twists and turns and ups and downs. And he came so that we could know him and be in relationship with him. And when he came, he came to invite you into the family. And to invite your neighbor and to invite your kids, and to invite your co-workers, that there is a place in this family for you. We'll see next week this dysfunction continues, multiplies in some other ways. But in, 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 while we're looking at the women in verses 3 to 6, I think it's worth pointing out that there's one more woman mentioned in this genealogy, bringing the total to five women in a list that would have been usually just men in their time. We read in verse 16, Jacob, the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary, of whom Jesus was born, who is called the Christ. Mary gets special mention as another woman who's in the family and all by faith. The angel had told her that she would conceive by the Holy Spirit. And she said, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. She knew that everybody around her would talk and spread rumors. Being not yet married to Joseph, this looked like yet again another step of dysfunction. Another step of things not being quite like they're supposed to be. Something you wouldn't talk around the holiday table about. And yet by faith, Mary believed the Lord. By faith, she gave birth to a son and named him Jesus because he would save his people from sin. Because he came to a dysfunctional family and what looked like, very dis, looked like a very dysfunctional moment, born in a very dysfunctional way, so that we could have a relationship with Him by grace through faith. That we could be called righteous, we could be called holy, we could be called pure, we could be called son and daughter in the family of God. You're invited to that family today not because of something you've done, not because of your heritage, not because of your ethnicity or your language, not because of your status, not because of your wealth or poverty or anything else. You are not excluded from that family because of anything horrible in your past or your ethnicity or language or any, your, whatever else it may be. You are invited to that family like everybody is invited, and you come through one way, through faith in Jesus by His amazing 
grace. That's how you come, and I pray you will. Let's pray. Father, thank you for that amazing grace that you have given to us through your Son, Jesus Christ. Father, thank you that in your incredible humility, you came not to a um, perfectly well-put-together family, but you came to a dysfunctional family like our own. God, thank you that you came and you brought redemption. You brought uh, salvation. You brought a, a cure for our sin, a salvation from our sins that we don't have to live in it anymore. You've made a way for us to know you and be known by you. Father, we pray that as we celebrate you this Christmas, we would celebrate as members of the family, the family of God. God, thank you for that invitation. May we, if, if there are those here who have not yet accepted that invitation, God, may we see our sin, repent from it, turn away from that life, and trust in you for salvation. And God, for those who, who are thinking about family members or whoever else that may not yet know you, may they share the good news of Christmas. And God, may we be aware of places we're excluding others, where you've asked us to invite people into your family, invite people into our lives, and yet we have been hesitant to do so. God, may we see your amazing grace this Christmas and show love the way you loved us. In Christ's name I pray. Amen.